Welcome to the East City Wesleyan Church podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And if you would like to learn more about East City Wesleyan Church, please go to ecw.org.nz for more information. Now, here's your podcast. Well, that's a good scripture for after baptism, isn't it? Uh, don't worry, I'll make it connect. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about the baptism. I feel kind of inadequate when I come up to preach after a sacrament because the reason why sacraments are so powerful is because they're basically a living word. They preach in themselves the act of what the sacrament is. So baptism and the Lord's Supper traditionally, but then the Catholic Church is like a list of others. And that's what sacraments do. They preach basically a message just in the act of doing it. So coming up to speak after a baptism seems a bit odd to me because that's a sermon in and of itself of what we just witnessed this morning. And it's an encouragement to each and every one of us to kind of take our faith a bit more seriously and to really, um, yeah, just to take things in life more seriously. But with that being said, I have a sermon to preach this morning, and uh, here we go. I did have 30 minutes, but we're going to make it into a homily, which basically I'm going to change into something about 10 to 15 minutes long, and we'll see how we do. Maybe I'll get off track. I don't know. If you just, just want to leave, just leave. I understand, you know. It's, it's okay. But... This is one thing I, I realized, and I think, I think you've realized it as well. Um, I, I like to be, I'm, I'm an observer of culture, I'm an observer of society, and I like to contrast Christian culture and society amongst what the world's culture and society is. And this is one thing I've noticed. I've noticed that we live in a world in the 21st century that has an absolute abundance of meaning. This is what I mean. We live in a world today which says that we can create our own meaning. We can just instantly create it out of our preferences, out of our likes, out of our dislikes, out of what people tell us, out of what people don't tell us. We can do and make meaning how we think life ought to be lived. I'll give you an example. If we, you might be somebody who is pursuing the corporate ladder, wants to climb the corporate ladder, and society is telling you, if you want to do that and you think that's meaningful for you and life, go and do it. That's great. You might be another person who wants to buy a boat, sail around the world, and video all your experiences and upload it on YouTube, and that might be meaningful to you, and society is saying, that's awesome, go and do that. You can live a meaningful life doing just that. Or you could be somebody who wants to, really has no ambition in life, just wants to live in your basement and play video games, and society will say, hey, if that's meaningful for you, you can do that. Well, all these different things are different kind of definitions of what is meaningful, and we live in a society that says that meaning is everywhere, and you get to create what is meaningful. But there's a bit of a contrast here. I've noticed, even though there's an abundance of meaning in the world, anecdotally speaking, on a day-to-day, me interacting with people basis, there's an overwhelming sense of purposelessness, meaninglessness, dissatisfaction, and unhappiness in life. You can read the stats about mental health and suicide and all these things, Or you can just talk to somebody, and they're always wanting to pursue the next thing because they always think the grass is greener on the other side of life. That's just my observation. I think each of us, if we want to be honest, we maybe have felt that at one point in time, or we can observe that through seeing other people's experiences as well. One thing I do know is, is that in order to be human, you need to live a meaningful life. Life. There's something within each and every one of us that craves meaning and purpose. And we feel a sense of dissatisfaction in life until we find 
a meaning, find a reason for existence. And this is a question that always came up uh, when I was watching children's cartoons as a kid for some reason. There would always be one episode in every single show, uh, not every show, every series, you know, whatever, um, where it would say, the, the main character would say, what is the meaning of life? This was all throughout, I guess, Canadian television in the 90s. I don't get it. It, may, it got me thinking a lot about it. Thank you, Canadian television. But there's always this question, what is the meaning of life? And I think we all ask that question because we all crave meaning. But what's really interesting about that question is that that question is a different question than what is your meaning to life. When you say, what is the meaning of life, you're actually asking the question, and you're trying to answer it that involves everybody else. Because if you are asking what is the meaning of life, you're assuming that you're alive for a purpose. That you're breathing for some reason, and that you don't know how you're, you became alive. You're just alive. And if you're a Christian or a theist of some sort, you believe that God created you, and he has given you life. But that still begs the question, if God's created you and given you life, what is the meaning to life? And I think our society today, we answer that question very superficially. We don't go deep into the surface of what that question is really asking. And we kind of shallowly scratch the surface. And we say, what I do for a living, or who I'm around, or the things that I accomplish, that's the meaning of life. That's my purpose. But I think God is wanting to get a lot deeper into what is the true meaning of life. And we celebrated the baptisms this morning. And that is basically the application of this sermon, is that is Jesus is the meaning of life. But we're going to get to that in a little bit. So we read the book of Ecclesiastes. We read a chapter. And I had the opportunity to uh, lecture a little bit on the book of Ecclesiastes at Laidlaw College. And I was like, well, this is a really interesting book. It sounds kind of depressing, but it's really interesting. So I thought I'd give it a go for a Sunday morning and see what happens. The book of Ecclesiastes is one of the most unique books in the Old Testament. It's in the category of wisdom literature, which is about four or five books. There's a debate on how many books are part of the wisdom literature tradition. And basically, the book is asking, what is meaningful in life? It's a question that each one of us are asking. And it's traditionally thought that Solomon wrote the book, um, but scholars basically don't know who wrote the book. They know that they're the book is written from the perspective of somebody who is a king of Israel who has everything at their fingertips. There is nothing that this king cannot have in life. And it's from this perspective that this king is trying to find meaning to life. And a lot of people don't like this book. They really hate this book because there's no nice little bow tie at the end of the book. You're hoping that it will point to Jesus somehow, but it doesn't do that. It kind of leaves the question hanging a little bit and the rest of Scripture helps inform what this book is all about. The passage that we read this morning has to do and has to talk about the, the pleasures of life and how he, he had everything at his fingertips, and yet he saw life as meaningless. He, he, he worked as hard as he possibly could and achieved everything he wanted, yet he somehow saw life as meaningless, which is really interesting. But we need to do one thing to start out with here, we need to define a word, because this book will become a lot more clear to you if you decide to read it after today, if we define what this one word really means. There's a word in the Hebrew that is called hevel, and what this word is typically translated as is vanity, futile, and meaninglessness. 
So when the author is looking at the world and he's seeing all the things that he's done, he sees them as havel, vanity, futile, meaninglessness. But literally, what this word means, it means vapor, mist, or smoke. So how do you get the other words from what the literal meaning of this word is? In the context, this is what this word means. It doesn't mean that life is meaningless. This is not what the author's arguing at all. He's not looking at the world and saying, everything is pointless. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, meaning in life is elusive. That's what he's arguing. And this is quite different to what the English translation that we get from the Hebrew actually tells us. And it's really difficult to translate a single word in Hebrew to a single word in English. You actually have to write a whole sentence to kind of describe what this word's talking about. So what the author is saying is, I'm pursuing this thing over here, and it looks meaningful from a distance. And as I come up to it, as I come closer to it, as I try and touch it, my hands just go right through it like smoke. It has the appearance of being meaningful, but it's not. It's elusive. And he does this for various things in life. And I think in our experience today, we do this too. We try and pursue different things. We try and pursue something. We, we see it as meaningful, but as we get closer, as we get closer, and as we start to touch it, it goes through our fingers. And we think to ourselves, this is not what I expected. And then you look to the next thing, and you're hoping that the grass is greener on the other side. So you pursue the next thing, and then the next thing, and then the next thing. And then you're caught in this cycle of trying to pursue meaning, even though meaning is elusive. This is what the author is trying to get at in the entire book of Ecclesiastes. If I had to summarize it right there, that's what Ecclesiastes is talking about. Meaning is elusive. However, the author doesn't think that there isn't something that is meaningful in life. What he's saying is it's very difficult with the experiences of life to actually discern what is meaningful. So he pursues pleasures and he pursues fame. And one thing that I find interesting is you look at our culture today, we see, I think the biggest struggles in our culture today, the things that we want to pursue as meaningful and as purposeful in life are probably fame, fortune, and um, yeah, fame, fortune, and a sense of recognition and accomplishment for the things that we do. There's a quote that I like from uh, a good Canadian guy, Jim Carrey. He said this during one of his crazy existential crises that he had about five years ago. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. This is a guy who had the exact same experience as the author of Ecclesiastes. He's trying to pursue different things and is getting nowhere. He thought that he had found it, the meaning of life, but he really didn't. It's elusive. There's a story of a National Football League play player, so an American footballer, uh, Dion Sanders is his name, and he is one of, the, one of the best athletes in America at the time because he not only did he make it to the Super Bowl uh, in the NFL, he made it to the Major League Baseball Championships in baseball. He was a professional athlete at two highly competitive sports, which is almost unheard of. Very few people have actually done that, let alone make it to the pinnacle of their career. So this was his goal. His goal was to win the Super Bowl. And the one thing that he wanted to do was win that Super Bowl, and after he won the Super Bowl, he wanted to buy a Lamborghini. Those were his two biggest goals in life. So lo and behold, he wins the Super Bowl, he finds himself in this penthouse suite 
up in a hotel, and uh, he sits down, he, just, he puts the phone down after ordering his Lamborghini from overseas, and then he sits there, and he breathes, and he feels completely empty inside. This is his testimony. This is him describing his experience. And what he, what he thought was that he had just accomplished everything he ever wanted to accomplish in life at a young age, by the age of 30. And now he's thinking to himself, well, what now? What's life all about once I've accomplished it all? And his story has a nice little bow tie at the end. He eventually starts going to church and eventually finds Jesus because he realizes that the things that he's pursuing in life, they're not really going to satisfy him, and they're not going to really give him this ultimate kind of meaning that informs everyone's existence. This was his experience, and I think that's a lot of our experiences as well, to a certain extent, maybe not as extreme as a Super Bowl win, but in certain areas of our lives, as we pursue different things in life, we might feel empty or a sense of the grass is greener on the other side over there if I keep pursuing it. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 through 14 says this, and this is basically the summary of the book. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. What the author is concluding here is he's saying, I don't know what the meaning of life is. But what I do know is if I don't know what the meaning of life is, I need to do one thing. I need to fear God and keep his commandments. Because from his perspective, which is an incomplete perspective, the rest of the Bible informs it, but from his perspective, he's thinking to himself, I don't know what is meaningful in life, therefore I'm going to do the one thing I know I need to do if I'm created by God, and he has given me commandments that will benefit me and that will help me love him more. And that is to fear God and keep his commandments. Because what he thinks is that meaning exists, and the way to find meaning in life is to do these things, even though he can't name it yet. He can't name it. Enter the New Testament of the Bible. The Apostle Paul, in the book of 1 Corinthians, he would agree with Ecclesiastes. He would agree with the author, this king of Israel, and he would say, I think you're right. If, if meaning in life is really difficult to discern, well, then what you ought to do is eat, drink, for tomorrow we die, is what Paul's saying. But this is what he says in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 32. He says this, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Because this is what Paul's determined. Paul's determined that the meaning of life itself is bound up in who Jesus is. And not just who he is, but what he actually accomplished on the cross and through his resurrection. This informs who you are, this informs how you ought to live, and this informs your purpose in life is Jesus. However, what Paul is saying is if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, if there was no resurrection, then he was just another man who came, said a good thing, and died. However, if he, did, if he was raised from the dead, that means we need to take incredibly seriously what he said about life, what he said about God, and what he said about existence. Because that means that it needs to directly impact how God created us and who God created us to be. This is what Paul is arguing. And Paul is also saying throughout, I'm surveying a lot here, Paul also says throughout much of his letters to continue to do the things of life 
that you and I know we ought to do. We ought to get married. Well, Paul never got married, but that's a different story. We ought to do the things that, that life kind of demands of us that give us a sense of meaning. However, Jesus in our life gives us an added sense of meaning that informs our entire existence. This is what Paul is arguing. And this is kind of what I reflected as well as a kid. I know you've probably heard this before. I've said it from the stage a couple times, but for those who haven't heard this before, when I was a kid, I was constantly asking the questions. I was constantly asking from probably the age of like 9 to 11, what is the point of all this? What's the point of life? I know that I, I, know that I probably should find a job, you know, get married, have kids, um, live life, retire, and then eventually I'm going to die. And that's kind of what I realized. That's what I, that's what I saw as everyone's trajectory in life. And I thought my, of myself as no different to anybody else. And that didn't really get me upset because I was a kid, so you just did the next fun thing that you wanted to do. I didn't really dwell on it too much. But that was always in the back of my head. And then lo and behold, this person starts to talk about Jesus and how they inform everything in life, how we need to have a relationship and we need to accept Jesus into our lives. And he gives us meaning and purpose in life. And I thought for a second, you know what, I'll give this thing a try. You know, I might as well. I got, it's either this or I die and nothing else happens. You know, so I, I might as well give this a go. And I did. I have never looked back from that decision because it's Jesus who informs everything that I do, everything of who I am, and everything that I will do. But here's the thing. I'm still going to get married. I am married. I've been married four years. And you can live a meaningful life in a sense of getting married, having kids, and then building a legacy for your future and for the future of your kids. That's still a good thing to do. I'm not saying that those aren't good things to do. However, what Jesus does is he gives it an extra level of meaning beyond just you and your own existence. What he does is he gives you a level of meaning to where your marriage is no longer just about you and your spouse and your kids and then your legacy. Your marriage is about reflecting the character of who God is and how Jesus loves everyone in the world and loves his church just how you love your spouse. There's a reflection there. There's a witness there. Well, you should still get a job. You should still do things that are meaningful. You should still actually contribute to society. Those things are meaningful. They're still important. However, with Jesus added to the equation, you're not just working to save money and you know, live a good life and live for retirement and eventually, hopefully, hand it on to your kids later. You're living for to be a witness of Jesus in every sphere of life that you enter. You're living with integrity and with solid character and with a purpose beyond just the job that you are doing in a factory or at a desk or through talking to people. Who Jesus says you are and his relationship to you informs who we are and how you should approach your job. And in every single aspect of life, that is what Jesus does for us. So I'm going to conclude, because I've already been about 20 minutes, and I said I would be about 15. The book of Ecclesiastes can be a little bit depressing. And what he's determined is we can't create our own meaning, because meaning is elusive. And what we know, and this is the big takeaway, knowing Jesus is the gift of meaning you can't create, God wants to give you this gift. Knowing Jesus is meaning you can't create. We can't create it. We can't just hope for it. It's a gift from God himself. And it resonates with the, 
deepest part of our being, of who we are, because God created you and I to be in relationship with him through Jesus. I'm going to ask the band to come up at this point. And there's a moment that we do here at ECW, which is called Engaging Prayer. And typically, this is a time where you can pray for yourself, you can pray for a family member, you just come to the front. But if this is a time where you want to say, you know what, I've been pursuing different things in life that I know don't give me ultimate meaning and purpose, and I've kind of put Jesus to the side, and I need to, I need to just come up and just pray to God while everyone else is kind of standing and the band's playing, I would encourage you to do that. And I'd be remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity today, if you would not consider yourself a Christian at all, to come to the front as well and to accept Jesus as your Savior. Just pray to him. Just ask him to come into your life. The, the number one, arguably the number one New Testament scholar in the world, N.T. Wright, was asked the question, N.T. Wright, Christianity looks very complicated. There's a lot of different things that are involved, and you can do a PhD in just a small little slither of what Christianity is all about. So what do you actually need to know to be a Christian? He was asked this question. And he said, to be honest, very little. Very little do you need to know to become a Christian. You need to know that God loves you. You need to know that you need to turn from the life that you were living. And you need to accept what he did on the cross and through his resurrection. It's very simple. All this other stuff can come later. But at a granular, granular level, at a very simple level, it's just three things. God loves you. He has a plan and a purpose for you. And he wants you to accept him as his Lord and Savior.